Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining me on this week's, this month's uh, March 2nd Drafts podcast. We've been doing these once a month, and it's been uh, really fun. We've had some some great guests, and I'm pretty confident we're going to have a third one uh, this time around as well. Just so you know, uh, these podcasts are you shoot for about an hour long, a um, little over, a little under. We'll see, but it's also uh, it's also a time for us to to just talk with some friends of mine. Um, I know some pretty cool people and uh, somehow they haven't kicked me out of their lives just yet, but I try to talk with folks who have experience, expertise, or doing something neat. And um, I think this is a, a good example of someone who clicks all three, uh, all three boxes. So let me introduce you to Luke Davis. Luke is the Bible Department Chairman at Westminster Christian Academy in St. Louis, where he teaches Christian ethics and church history. Uh, Luke also serves as assisting priest at Church of the Resurrection in Chesterfield, Missouri. He's the author of the Cameron Ballack crime novels and has also written an ethics book for high schoolers titled Tough Issues, True Hope, A Concise Journey Through Christian Ethics. And now, Luke's first two volumes of a new church history series for students has uh, just been released yesterday and uh, just published by Christian Focus Publications. And as Luke and I used to teach together at Westminster, and I knew that uh, he had put the work into this series, I wanted to have him on the podcast. Uh, Luke and his wife, Christy, live with their family in St. Charles, Missouri. Luke, welcome to the Second Drafts podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be on here. Well, it's uh, it's been a while. Uh, you and I, I don't know, we were we used to sit in Bible department meetings together, um, among other other things. But uh, how's things going in St. Louis these days? Uh, so far, so good. We got about an inch of snow, which I know is paltry uh, compared to your neck of the woods. But uh, it was a little bit of a glaze. But we managed to get in today. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, so, say, say what you will, it was the day before spring break. So yeah. I'm not sure that too many people were, uh, too, too happy about coming in, but, um, you know, we, we, we did what we could. So. Well, who's ever happy coming in on the day before spring break. So, uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad you came in. Thanks for making the time, uh, with us. Luke and I, like I said, taught together in St. Louis at Westminster Christian Academy, which is a, a Christian college preparatory school in um, the western part of St. Louis. Um, I don't know, Luke, anything you want to say about Westminster? Oh, no, just uh, we've uh, probably uh, um, grades 7 through 12, uh, got about a thousand-ish, maybe a little bit under students uh, in, in those six grades. And um, yeah, just, I guess you and I met back in, you, you had one year under your belt at Westminster and I came in in 08. So I think June of that year, I came up for some early teacher induction and you were one of the um, people they brought in who had uh, gone through their first year at Westminster and you were just kind of giving us some advice on, on how to weather uh, our first years. Um, yeah, I, I think what I said was don't do anything that I did. That was probably the best advice I may have given you. 
Yeah, I don't remember anything that I did do uh, from that first year. <laughs> yeah, so, that's um, probably true I, for both of us. That, I don't know what that puts me on safe ground or not. Um, <laughs> there's still enough to have a job here, so I don't know. <laughs> well, in your role there, you oversee the Bible department. Of course, you started out in the Bible department when you and I were in there together. What are some of your responsibilities now? Well, uh, mainly to to oversee uh, uh, personnel, but also um, more, um, I, I tend to take seriously the pastoral role and uh, not uh, not just being a teacher, not just being a, an administrator of the department, but to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, uh, to, to see to people's needs, to advance the professional relationship, uh, uh, professional um, uh, direction of the department, uh, make sure that, um, that that we utilize the uh, department budget uh, for, for good stuff. And, and so uh, we, we always have a bunch of people year after year who love to buy books. So we uh, uh, make sure we get good stuff in their hands. But uh, we've been uh, over the last probably five or six years, uh, done a little bit of a curricular revision, uh, not where we've uh, cut, uh, cut things, but where we've added electives. Uh, we had, well, uh, our former colleague, Larry Hughes, was still here. He did a Bible as literature elective that was very well received. Of course, I do church history. And um, next, uh, next school year, we are adding another elective uh, to give students some more options on spiritual disciplines and leadership. So uh, things keep expanding and everything, and that, that gives people, um, uh, we, we've got with, with ethics, you can have a moral theology track and a historical theology track and a pastoral, uh, a practical theology track. And I, I think that gives people some options in between ninth grade New Testament and um, 12th grade worldviews. It bridges the gap pretty well. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty strong department, um, as it always has been when from the days when you and Larry were in it. Uh, but a um, lot, lot of different changes, but uh, things keep moving on. And it sounds like on the curricular side of things, that may play in a little bit to, I guess, some of the writing that you've been doing. I mentioned the uh, the Tough Issues, True Hope book, which was an ethics. Is that the, the book that you're now using for the curriculum there? We are. We are. And with ethics having gone from a full year course to a semester course, uh, the pace is a lot more rapid mm -hmm. and more than ever before. Uh, it's le less uh, a matter of drilling down into a, a significant amount of depth versus more orienting students to, to the major questions uh, that, that they'll face on, on each, each of these issues. Uh, so the, the, the book helps, and uh, because the chapters are short, uh, it, they, they don't feel bogged down uh, as much. And I was, um, that, that, that book really uh, came to, I, I was writing through a few chapters and uh, my parents uh, are connected. Uh, my, my dad has done a number of uh, Old Testament commentaries for Christian Focus. And so that connection helped with me getting wired in with them uh, for that. Hmm. Well, it's, it's great when whenever the teacher and especially, I would even argue as well, the Bible department head also is keeping a pulse on what's going on in the classroom, um, bringing, I think, content, curriculum. Those are always the things that, uh, you know, you and I always connected on and appreciated. And um, it's, it's certainly, with regard to the ethics of things, uh, it's certainly not that we ever lack for, a, um, lack for material and bad examples. I used to tell uh, my ethics students that if they, if they failed my class, they failed life. And um, 
I'm not sure if if they believe me then, but I think some of them have, have maybe found out that maybe yeah they've they've they believe me now. But um, so that was that's the ethics development of the curriculum. But now you're you're moving more into you've you've got this new series um, that's come out on church history. Again, I'm guessing this comes both out of your studies with the students, but then also it's for the purpose of the studies with the students. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, and this this almost happened. Um, uh, you don't want to say, uh, as from a reform perspective, uh, haphazardly or uh, sheer coincidence, but it, it was it was about three days after the the ethics book was published was released that I got an email from Catherine McKenzie, who runs the, the, the Children's and Young Readers Division at Christian Focus, and she mentioned that um, they were in need of a, re, of a reboot, and there, there are different circumstances that brought this about that I won't get into, but uh, they were in need of a new uh, five-volume series uh, on church history for younger readers, mm -hmm. and if I would be interested so I, I told her that uh, that if I could have about 24 hours to think it over, pray it over, and um, after I hit send, it took me about 30 seconds to um, to, to basically be confirmed. Yeah, this this would be a, a good thing. The the thing is, then you know what you're doing for the next uh, three to five years of your life and you're pretty locked into that, uh, which, which I didn't mind. And I had a vision from the very beginning how things would be organized, not just in terms of each book, but also I, I had a vision for uh, specific uh, people uh, in terms of biography that I would, I would wanna cover, that it would be something that, um, I, re I really believe that if you're gonna engage younger readers, uh, especially along historical theology lines, you want this to be done um, in 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 the in the vein of story, and um, there's you want to keep it grounded in history, but uh, but with enough um, I don't know historical fiction sizzle is, is the right terminology to use, uh, but uh, the bottom line is to have students um, and readers just drawn in. Uh, when, when Athanasius is making his case uh, that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God at the Council of Nicaea, um, the, the way I want to write that chapter is where, where a reader is going to feel they are on the floor in the imperial hall at, at that moment and, and hearing him thunder away and, and his adversaries strike back at him uh, mm -hmm. where, where they're in the midst of all that. Uh, just making history come alive for people uh, is a uh, it really burdens me. I, I really want to, I want to make that happen, uh, and if we can get young readers to do that, that, then all the better. Yeah, and I think reading it through, that was one of the things that I guess I I missed the first time around when you were first telling me about this series that was coming out. Uh, this is not a textbook. This is not. Uh, any kind of, uh, you know, just old, old material rehashed, repackaged. Here's a timeline. Uh, here are all those significant uh, councils and things that you got to learn. The, the thing that I noticed about it was that narrative aspect where you're taking the different stories of, uh, you know, you start with the ancient church with Peter, Paul, Ignatius, Polycarp, uh, Cyprian, Constantine, Athanasius, as you mentioned, Ambrose, Christostom, Jerome, Augustine, a personal favorite, Patrick. Um, 
and you go through and and you're I, like you, I hesitate saying historical fiction because you know they're they're not fictional characters. I mean, these are real people, but at the same time, the story and the way that you've woven the story is really compelling because it 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 tells the story. Um, and at the same time, and again, for me, because I know you, um, I'm not worried that you're going to go off down some rabbit hole of, you know, just for the sake of selling books, <laughs> you know, you, you want to be true to the history and true to the story and the, and the, 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 the father of the church, uh, you know, the different fathers. And that was one of the things that I appreciated about the books. And I think, uh, uh, there, there's an event we can really leverage story uh, for for young readers, especially in something like church history, because uh, there there has historically been so little out there. I mean, you mentioned textbooks, which have their role, and uh, when you like, uh, when when I was in seminary, and, and probably little change from when you were in seminary uh, after me, but we had uh, Justo Gonzalez's. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the story of Christianity, which is very helpful, right. and, and it and it moved along, uh, and it felt it felt like a story, but um, it uh, I was like that this is this is great if there is a way that I I could have people living and breathing the, the experience it would be even better, and just looking around there was very little out there um, for that, no matter how crystal clear and in plain language uh, it, it was. Um, and I was also convinced, uh, my, my dad and I recently had a conversation about this, about how critical um, the, uh, the, that uh, in, in terms of building believers from, from a young age, what J.I. Packer would rightly call catechesis mm -hmm. in, in the best possible sense uh, can, can happen through, uh, through things like redemption and reign. And, uh, and, and where I think one of the glaring issues, and this isn't just with younger Christians today, it, it's across the board, uh, we, where we see in American evangelicalism, there's just such a, uh, a pragmatism to it. There's such a, I, I would say there, 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 there's a, there's a sense of, um, not, not just immediacy, but a, a very real uh, sensation that so many people that I talk to and, and even uh, among students that um, if, if you've got your faith in Jesus and, and Jesus is your friend, then that's all you need. Well, <laughs> no, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of other details that go, that go into that. And I would say that uh, one, one of the advantages that church history does for young people is, is, um, is it teaches you the, the theology that is proper. It teaches you the Lord that whom, who adheres to you, who advocates for you, and whom you can, can dive into his arms. Uh, th that it's uh, through, through the work of people like Jerome and, and Augustine, um, Augustine, you know, you mentioned him as a personal favorite, um, and the story, the storyline in uh, in the first book in this series, takes you to the Council of Carthage, and he's arguing with the advocates of Pelagius, and and that this is this is something that is at stake for people, uh, young readers and, and young at heart, uh, because depending on which side of this issue you come down on, Augustine's view of salvation and Pelagius's view of salvation. 
what's behind that is um, what is what are their view of God? Yeah. You know what what's God if you if you keep pushing where where that takes you? What kind of a God do you believe in? Uh, what 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 happened on the cross and and how necessary was that the the reality of our sin that there are four or five really key theological components that, that come out of there and, and can marinate into into people just by reading a story mm-hmm. and I think the you're talking about the difference let me say between Augustine and Pelagian Pelagius um, it it really comes down to are you viewing things from a, a grace perspective or from a works perspective and I mean the implications of that are are enormous not only theologically but but personally and just how you're going to uh, you know choose to, to as you said view God but then also view your role in response to God are you going to trust God or are you going to please God um, you know and I think Augustine would say that you know we we please God by trusting him and I think um, it's, it's it's so great to to see those themes developed, and I think to, to see them discussed. They're not just theological arguments, but here we have the early church and 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 on you, your fo- first book, Redemption: The Church in Ancient Times, that goes up through what through Augustine through um, yeah yeah let's see through Patrick yeah Augustine Patrick. And then the second book in the series is called Rain, uh, the Church in the Middle Ages. And again, to, to see the, the, you know, this this is part of the great cloud of witnesses to see these folks live out their faith in real history, um, dealing with real struggles, dealing with real threats. Um, I mean, that if, if we can help kids, especially younger kids, because I did notice this, this seems younger than high school age. This is more, this seems more middle school. I mean, in terms of a start, I mean, it reads great. And they're about, it, it's really hard for me to tell what a reading level is yeah. nowadays because I don't know what literacy expectations are anymore, sure. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I, I that that brand that 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 really um, that that really pulls it uh, uh, together that they can see not just the challenges that they respond to but but one thing that kept coming up to me time after time and time again for example in 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 rain you have um, and uh, just to be clear that rain is R E I G N yes it's yes. not the wet stuff uh, but. Um, but in the Benedict chapter, where where, uh, where Benedict is, is preparing everybody for a potential assault on on Monte Cassino uh, Monastery, um, even though it's not se- explicitly said, you, you do get the sense of Benedict getting a little um, irked, perturbed, uh, almost impatient that people aren't trusting God to the degree that they should. Uh, Columba, uh, when he's telling when he's telling his story. Uh, to to the the uh, the newly arrived individual in that chapter goes back to when he would not uh, give up the copied manuscript and two sides went to war and, and those deaths were on him. Uh, mm. The 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 incredible nature of church history is that um, I don't know of any major character who has entirely clean hands 
themselves. Mm. And it was an opportunity to put those flaws on display, not for the sake of putting them on display, but to, but to show against that background ju just how amazing God's grace is that, that he utilizes flawed individuals uh, to, to build his kingdom. Of course, then again, who else has God got to work with? <laughs> right. Other than, yeah. Right. No, that's a good, that's a good thought. It, it, it does give an opportunity to paint them. I think a lot of times, certainly with biblical characters, people, but also I think with, with, with church, as we look at church fathers and, and, and leaders in the, the early church, uh, especially writing for younger kids, everything gets distilled down so much where they almost become caricatures of themselves and cartoon characters. And I, I think to, to be able to show that, no, there's a, a much broader perspective in, in terms of their character, their own flaws, the things they struggled with. I mean, it, I think that's part of why I love Augustine. Um, you know, I think August, Augustine's view on, on, you know, sex, I mean, to, to the degree of saying, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty real. That's pretty honest. We <laughs> Say again. Mm -hmm. Where he's saying, put it, put it, put the brakes on that. Oh, heavenly Father, just, yeah. just for the, let me enjoy life before I follow you. Right, right. I mean, who, who of us hasn't had that mentality, whether it be with regard to sex or anything else? And I think that it's important for our kids, especially younger kids, to see these are not cartoon characters, one-dimensional, but there's a, a real depth and to to their lives and to the struggles that they they face. I guess you know one of the things, Luke, is you think about writing, and again, historical fiction is still not. It, it's not the. I like your historical sizzle. Maybe we'll go with that, but. Um, what, a retelling of history yeah something like that well and it's it's yeah. along the lines a little bit of i think the you know you've seen i don't know if you've watched the chosen um this movie project that came out a few years ago where they've taken the gospels and have have retold it more narratively and theatrically and i am always 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 really hesitant on stuff like that because just the interpretation I mean, it, red lights go off all over the place, but it's the, the episodes that I saw, I think I watched the first three or four were really, really good because they were applying good writing for the screen and drawing out the, the narrative story that we have in the scriptures. And it was really well done. It seems like this is, you're kind of doing the same thing here more literarily for the, the church with regard to church history. But, but what's, what's the process for that? Like, how do you research that? How do you write that? Yeah. Um, it's uh, the, the main thing is that there are some where the, those details are, have been ingrained from my own study of church history over the years. There, there were others where on specifics, I kind of had to um, look a few things up. In, in every case, for every individual, I, I really had to outline the entire chapter and make sure that the, the, the details were right. Um, that there was uh, in, in the Chrysostom chapter, I had written down uh, one particular uh, church where, where Chrysostom was doing Holy Communion. And, and then once I read some more, I was like, oh, wait a second, that wasn't built 
for another hundred years. Mm. So, so I had to go back and you know, that, that, that delays your, your timeline in terms of when you want to get stuff done, but I'd rather have an accurate project uh, put, put out there. Um, so, so it, there, there were some uh, where I was, I was working with a good bit of detail that I had read and, and ingest and digested before. Uh, there were some, some other things that I had to research a lot more deeply. Um, uh, Ambrose was one of those who kind of gets caught. Uh, people know Augustine, but, uh, you know, right. Ambrose being his mentor, I had to go back a lot on that. Um, uh, and, and I would say, um, so sometimes, you know, I, I would also say, don't shy away from what some people might call secular sources. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the best, um, uh, sources uh, that I uh, that I used for the medieval book once I got to sitting down and, and writing about Stephen Langton because I felt Magna Carta had to be covered uh, was Dan Jones's uh, Magna Carta the birth of liberty and mm. uh, uh, how so so much of, of his imprint uh, came through uh, in, in that chapter and, and got me thinking about it from a whole new direction uh, so I, I would say um, there, there were very few chapters where the amount of new research topped anywhere near 90% of my work, um, but, but nothing got below 25%. On mm -hmm. it. So I was always doing something, uh, but that, e even then your work isn't done once you do the raw material. I mean, all you've done is put in the, the cake and the, the, the cake mix and the oil, uh, the eggs and the water. I mean, you still have to, to mix everything and, and make it presentable. And, and so thinking about uh, really the thing about what is going to be the major programmatic incident from each individual's life that I'm going to be to, uh, th that I'm going to be bringing people into. So some of those are slam dunks. Um, uh, Athanasius obviously is going to be the Council of Nicaea. Uh, there are others that are going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, uh, you know, and you can have locations such as uh, Columba being at Iona, but what is going to bring about, what can you pull together for that? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Wy Wycliffe, uh, what was another one? Uh, he's, he's constantly under threat, under danger, but uh, what's, what's, what's an incident in, in his life that you can sort of extrapolate or think about what it might have been like uh, there, there in Lutterworth as uh, the as the, the church is coming after him. So, um, so, so I think it's a blend of, uh, of many different things. And I was doing it at an incredibly um, uh, crazy pace uh, as, as well, where it was almost uh, the only thing I thought of um, for, for a while uh, anyway. So um, for one, for one chapter, you know, as you think about the research, as you think about the writing, what all went into that, you know, what, what would you, could you estimate the number of hours that went into each chapter? I would, I would say, I would say so. And then the, the, the more research I would do, the better the writing process would be once I figured on a locking in on a moment uh, for, for storytelling sake. Um, but, uh, and, and then even then, I learned a long time ago with my crime fiction writing that it's very unwise to set goals uh, su such as 
a thousand words a day or something like that, because there are going to be some days that you hit only 200 and other days I wrote two chapters. Uh, so, so it blew hot and cold and, and I've just learned to make my peace with that. We'll talk a little bit about your writing. Uh, you know, this is not your first rodeo, so to speak, in terms of uh, books that you published. You mentioned, we talked a little bit about the ethics book. Talk a little bit about some of the other writing and, and how you got started with all that. Yeah, the, the, weird, the weird thing is that um, uh, writing occurred... Um, just, just getting it, it, it took so long. I, I kind of marinated in a lot of uh, reading uh, P.D. James's stuff, both mysteries, but also I actually started out with Children of Men, uh, and, and that just in terms of someone who could balance plot and setting and, uh, and, and everything else. But um, uh, w- one of the, uh, the, the incident that probably set this off more than anything is in November of uh, 2008, and, and you remember because you came over uh, uh, that that night after it happened was when we lost our youngest, uh, mm-hmm. Jordan. Uh, he was 19 months old, and that the, there are some people. You know, some people we we all grieve differently. And uh, one thing I found out, uh, I I worked through my grief when I write <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or type or or do whatever and uh, call it journaling. And then soon after that, as as my wife and I were were just kind of uh, plowing through uh, these matters together as a couple and and coming through that, our anniversary was approaching. And so six months out from that, I decided to to write something for her for the anniversary. So I thought back to 200 different events from our relationship from when we met all the way up till just before then and did a chapter on each one. It came out to about 300 pages and I sent it off to a, to a book binder to put together and gave it to her for our anniversary. And uh, when, when I did that, I was like, I just wrote a book. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I set a goal. I, I, I did things and it, it wasn't like Aaron's calf where it just came out of the fire. It's you know, I was like, that was a process and I stuck to it. Uh, so then soon after that, I decided to write a poetry book about, uh, about Jordan's life. And I got that done. And then I thought that would be it. And um, I just started sitting around. I was like, I'm not satisfied. I got to, I got to write something. And, and literally one day I thought to myself, I'm going to write murder mysteries. I'm going to write. Um, I'm going to write a series of murder mysteries that take place in St. Louis, and the detective is going to be a religiously skeptical, wheelchair-bound person that has the same neuromuscular disorder as our son Joshua. Now that was an Aaron's calf moment. That that just <laughs> came out of nowhere. And and but now we're um, th- three books officially published one serialized on my blog and we got three more that once I sit down and figure out how to do self-publishing myself, I'm going to get the other three out. But uh, so so, uh, crime fiction and doing that taught me how to think in terms of a full story arc uh, and and how to make the internal storyline consistent along the way. But, um, 
but but to, to to write one big long event over 300 or 400 pages that hangs together uh that that led to writing a fantasy book as well uh, more like a creative retelling of the story of christ uh, not so much fantasy but and then that's when uh christian focus came in and inquired about the ethics book and then right after ethics they said how about church history so Things keep steamrolling, um, e even though those are different. Uh, writing ethics and church history is totally different from writing a novel. Uh, sure. And so that was a whole paradigm shift as it was. What, as you think about, and I appreciate you sharing your the, the impetus as well as the process of, of that. It, it seems like the the writing that you've, you've done has really come out of uh, of a desire to write for others. You know, you, you wrote for, you wrote for Christy, you wrote for Josh. Um, you, you wrote in, in, um, in your youngest memory. Um, now you're writing ethics books for students. You're writing church history for students. Talk a little bit more about that pastoral heart that you have, because I know you come from uh, a pastoral family. I know that you're, your father. And I mean, that's, that's very much a part of who you've always been, who I've always known you to be. And uh, talk a little bit about how that informs your writing and what you do. Yeah. Sometimes people ask me, what was it like growing up as a pastor's kid? And um, my, my first very disarming thing to say is I never technically have grown up. I got older as a pastor's kid, but I, but I don't grow up. Uh, so, uh, but I, I, and I think as I, I prize uh, my, my family upbringing more and more as the years go along, uh, mainly as, and, and, and you, you know this as well, Craig, we can look over the American landscape and see so many celebrity pastors who have just crashed and burned, mm -hmm. uh, who might be incredibly gifted people, but but in terms of their character, um, it's uh, it, it's just a real downer. To add to that, Luke, the saddest part about it is that when they crash and burn, they take people with them, and that's the thing that's yeah, so heartbreaking. Awesome. All of which shows that they aren't th thinking about the needs of others first and foremost. Um, but but I, I would say that um, uh, my my upbringing in my family uh, and th this um, I, I'm actually the the fifth generation uh, of clergy, and my dad never pushed me towards the ministry ever. It was one of those things that. If, if you're gifted, God will make that plain and it will be behind you. But if, uh, if you're happy and gifted doing something else, God, God will use that and, and that will glorify God, which, you know, is a very reformed understanding of vocation as it was. So that was always solidly in front of me from the very beginning. But um, uh, my, my parents always uh, took their covenantal responsibilities very seriously. My, my dad always, we not only had family devotions in the evening, but dad would circulate uh, amongst me and my two brothers individually and would just read and pray with us every night, which looking back took an incredible amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that imprinted upon me that you, you are in this, whether it's parenting, whether it's being a student, whether it's being a writer, whether it's being a husband, you are in it for, for the good of, of those around you. You, you. you are there not 
for patting yourself on the back. Uh, it, it is not for uh, to draw attention to yourself, but you, you are passing uh, the, the nurture of what the Holy Spirit has to offer us into the lives of other people. Uh, and, and so that, that's what I remember the most. I mean, my, my dad's a phenomenal preacher. I, I can't think of anyone else who's, who, who really tops him on a consistent basis. Uh, but, but people, when, when they discover, um, you know, oh, you're, you're Ralph Davis's son, he's a great preacher. I'm like, yeah, great preacher, even better father. Hmm. Um, because there, there are so many gifted preachers who aren't, hmm. uh, that, that, and that, that makes you, once you think about it, that makes you quite sad, uh, for, for other people. But, um, but, but yeah, I think even growing up that, uh, the, the other centeredness of my parents pouring into all of us really, uh, j just, uh, just oozed into us, uh, o over time. And uh, that that's probably been one of the most helpful takeaways about my upbringing. Mm. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's, you really see the, the scriptural concept of the blessing from one generation to the next and how that the impact that that makes, what do you, um, as, you know, from, from that, Luke, tell me a little bit, remind me a little bit of your training that, uh, you know, just in terms of school education, as well as, you know, you were recently ordained in the Anglican church. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, um, and the thing is I never, uh, until probably midway through college, I wasn't thinking about, um, pastoral ministry in the, in the least bit. Um, I, I was I was a history major at Covenant College for no other reason than I loved history. I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. Uh, didn't really have didn't really have a, a well drawn plan. But uh, over time, the way that the Lord was forming me uh, through through various means and, and through various people, um, I knew that. I, want, I wanted to go on for more training in, in terms of scripture and theology. I had no idea what concretely that would look like. And even after seminary, uh, here at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, uh, there was youth ministry uh, that was, was, was okay. But uh, it was, it's, it's one of those things where you, you can sort of jump into something you're like this it, it, the, the chemistry of a, of a person and, and, and the field of endeavor. Um, it, it's uh, the, the person's okay. I didn't see anything necessarily glaring uh, with me, at least at, at, in the moment, and nothing wrong with youth ministry. It's just the, the, the blend of the elements. Uh, it, it just wasn't a good marriage. Uh, and so uh, eventually that led to teaching and um, in, in many different places. And along the way, as I like to say, I fooled the Presbyterian church and, uh, and they ordained me. Uh, I did, mm -hmm. did a spate of insanity called uh, church planting, uh, which I've heard one of my friends say is like your girlfriend breaking up with you every day. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh that was uh, church planting or church revitalization. Being being in the pastoral ministry first, for for the first uh, go around, um, that was one time where I really learned it's okay to it's it's okay to fail. That this that this moment in this place did not work out, and that and that's okay. 
because God is still the God of grace and you are still the recipients and you are still very beloved by God and, and you run with that. Um, and, and so when, once we moved out here and I got transferred into the, I transferred into the PCA um, and, and the local presbytery, it wasn't until um, I think it was around 2015, 2016, uh, early 2016, um, the, we had a uh, changeover in our department. I became department chair, and I was charged with the task of overseeing the, the shift where we would start to add more electives. And so I said, well, I could try church history if you want a semester elective on church history. And the administration was like, okay. So um, it was going to be launched in the fall of 2017, which as a historian, it's like that is the perfect time to launch a church history elective because it's the 500 year anniversary right. of the Reformation. Now that led to me realizing I kind of know Luther pretty well. Uh, Calvin, I, I'm pretty good. I, I'm kind of solid with him. And then I thought ahead, then there's the English Reformation on the other side of that. I, I need to read up. On, 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 on that, and at least have some level of mastery. So I started reading, and I read more, and I read Cranmer, and I read John Jewell, and I read Richard Hooker, and I read um, uh, Latimer and Ridley, and all of a sudden, it was, it was like a thunderbolt went off in my soul uh, with, with not only the, the depth of... Um, uh, of, of the Protestant vision of the Anglican Church at that time, and, and um, in, in England, but also the 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 generosity and the beauty of worship and the Book of Common Prayer, and over about an uh, an eighteen month. Uh, period, I went through an amazing paradigm shift in my own life and. Uh, I, I learned a long time ago when you have major events like these, always involve your wife. Um, <laughs> don't uh, don't don't lasso her in, lasso her in um, w without fully informing her. And it, it wasn't anything. It, it wasn't anything against uh, the, the PCA or anything like that. But just just a a conviction of the sort of the Anglican um stance uh, shall we say and um of the reformation and there, there was an acna church in our area and we started attending and ju just a great solid uh, bunch of folks and um that that led to me going through the holy orders track and taking basically going back to the back of the line and taking exams moving forward. And I had to unlearn a whole bunch of Presbyterian nomenclature before I took exams on the Anglican sacraments and, and polity and everything and, and government. So um, uh, long story short, uh, which I haven't been making this very short, but uh, December of 20, I was ordained as a deacon and then I was priested just this past summer. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I, I serve at uh, Church of the Resurrection. I preach when needed. I, I assist in, uh, in communion and a lot of other details. And my role there, while somewhat undefined, is, is growing uh, quite, quite well at a, at a pace that I think is very agreeable and, um, and, and where I, I can bring my, my gifts to, uh, to the church in a very satisfactory way. As we wrap up, you know, you've got the first two books of the series just came out yesterday, 
redemption and reign. Um, this is on um, Christian Focus Publications. And uh, for those listening to the podcast, I'll have all of this information on the podcast page at Second Drafts. But what you've got three more books in the series. What does that look like? How have you broken up the, how, how have you scoped that out? Yeah, um, as, as as we're moving through through those eras, um, obviously you take the Reformation in in one gulp, uh, and then sort sort kind of sort of the the post Reformation era is a larger chunk from about uh, 1600 on to the beginning of 1900. So for lack of better specificity, uh, you can kind of call that the missionary age and then think in terms of more of uh, the modern church. So tentatively, and th- th- this is still still up for, it can be up for debate or finalization, but I kind of have an idea of the, the next book being called Reform and reflecting the church at the birth of Protestantism, then moving on to Renewal, reflecting the church in the missionary age, uh, and, and finally Resolve, the church that endures forward, where we're going to get a good bit of, um, um, you know, how, how is how is the church moving through an increasingly secular and in some cases a more hostile age, uh, d- depending where uh, God's people are situated. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I, I really want to encourage our listeners um, that I think this series would be great, certainly for your kids. Um, but I also, I think just personally, it's, it's something that I'm reading through and just Luke's a good writer. It's, it's a smooth, easy read. Um, and when I say easy, I don't mean shallow, uh, but it, it would be worth, I think, uh, picking these up, uh, getting a copy for your youth pastor. Um, because I think one of the things, especially, and I'll, I'm playing my cards a little bit here, but in, in, in some of the, what I call the verb churches, <laughs> the churches named after, you know, just they've come up, they've sprung up and, and there's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of grounding to them because a lot of times church history isn't that doesn't play into their foundation as much or in evangelicalism a lot of times people think of church history as the last 70 years and you know and it really goes back to a parachurch idea whatever but i think the thing that uh, i really want to encourage folks is is to bridge the gap between the closing of the canon of the scriptures and the the 2000 years of God still working and moving and, and working through flawed people that we have in church history. And I just think for all of us, um, we can't get enough of that. There's so much inspiration to come from that. There's so much, um, I think, uh, direction. There's so much uh, purpose and, and just marvel. I mean, I, I look at the faith of some of these early uh, these early church fathers and and those who have come after and just the faith that they had in the midst of even losing their lives. And uh, I just, I just really appreciate the work that you've done on this Luke and I wish you the best for these next, certainly for these first two books coming out, but the, the three that are to come. Well, and, and on that, you, you mentioned uh, inspiration and uh, that, that was one thing that a student um, in, in the second year of the, this elective me- mentioned. Uh, he, he just raised his hand in the middle of class and said, 
you know, the, these, the stories of these people are, are just inspiring. And, and he said, we are, we, we live, he said, my, my generation is growing up and it, it's hard. But we, so many of us are unwilling to be inspired mm. and we have it here at our fingertips. Uh, the, these people cared about what they believed. They were willing to die. They were, you know, as you said, they were willing to die for it. And, and I, I just, Every time I, I, I write a, a new edition of these stories, and some of it comes out more clearly in other chapters, but how so many of them were faithful, and and yet they never saw the results of, yes. of the impact of what they did in their lifetime because they didn't need to, because ultimately fidelity to Christ and God receiving the glory meant everything uh so that that's why you had people like ambrose and chrysostom standing up to rulers and langton doing the same thing uh, with, with magna carta with king john and and so much of this ju just um enlivens my soul i would say because it's so church history to to really dive into it brings you into a countercultural world mm. Uh, it's just, um, I, I call it, uh, I call it salmon learning because you're learning how to go against the current, uh, of life. But, uh, there is something especially thrilling to all that. Yeah. And there's nothing new under the sun and the things that we deal with and think is, is so new and different. And, you know, we've never had to deal with these things before read church history. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all there. <laughs> it's all there. Church history. Yeah. Yeah. Never get well, the books are called Redemption, the Church in Ancient Times and Reign, the Church in the Middle Ages. Luke, tell us how folks can find out about them, websites, uh, Facebook. Obviously, uh, um, you know, for, for people who just live on Amazon, uh, they're there. Uh, you can just go um, cl click in uh, Luke H. Davis, and uh, those books should come up along with uh, some of my other stuff. And uh, Or you can go to www.christianfocus.com uh, directly to the, to the publisher's uh, site, and uh, you can not only find my stuff there, but a whole host of other great uh, theology resources. There, there's a whole uh, section of that for kids and, young, and younger readers, but also biblical commentaries written at a popular level and for, for lay people and also uh, more seminary educated people. So Christian Focus has, has just an incredible amount of stuff and it has uh, such a wide reach all over the globe as well. And I'm just incredibly humbled uh, and honored that, uh, that they would uh, publish something of mine. Great. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for spending the time and uh, wish you the best as you keep writing and uh, give my regards to everyone there in St. Louis. And um, thanks again, folks, for joining us for the Second Drafts podcast. And uh, if you've not subscribed yet, uh, please do so. Go to craigdunham.substack.com and uh, be a subscriber so you don't miss out on all this good stuff. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.